healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they, they recognized him. They knew who he was. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next town, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee and casting out demons. Jesus has begun his public ministry now, and the Bible says a few things about him that I think we need to take special note of. And it's important that we note it because Jesus never changes. We're thousands of years past the writing of, of, of these scriptures, but Jesus is the same Jesus. He still does the same things, and he still loves us, and he still speaks in the same ways. And They noted about Jesus. As a matter of fact, the Bible says they were amazed about this. They marveled at him because he spoke as one who had authority. He didn't speak or teach like the other religious leaders or teachers of his day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He, he spoke as one who actually knew of which he spoke. He, he spoke of one who actually had the power to do what he claimed and carry out the purposes that he declared. And, and it fascinated the people. They had never heard anyone speak like Jesus spoke. The other thing that we see here is that he went into villages and towns and when word would begin to spread that Jesus was in town, they knew something was about to happen. It was going to be more than just an event. It was going to be more than just a prolonged meeting. It was going to be more than just a, a teaching session or a lecture. Something was going to happen that was going to change people's lives and change a city. And they brought to him, because they had all, the word had already spread, that, hey, if you're sick, Jesus can heal you. If you're bound and you're broken, Jesus can set you free. If you're, if you're discouraged or you're oppressed, Jesus can bring you hope. There's, there's no one like this Jesus. He talks and speaks and teaches like no one else we've ever heard before. And he does things nobody else can do. Why, why he can open the eyes of the blind and cause deaf ears to hear and cause mute tongues to speak. He even cleanses leprosy and nobody could do that. He even cast out devils. So when news spread that Jesus was in town, they just started bringing everybody who was sick. They started bringing everybody who was bound and everybody who was broken and everybody who had need and they would just even lay them along the side of the road and get them as close to Jesus as they could. And the Bible says that Jesus went through the town and, and he just healed and he delivered. He even cast devils out of people's lives. And we see a source of his strength and power being that after a long day of ministry where people have been healed and set free. Jesus gets up really early before the sun comes up and he goes to a quiet place where he can be all alone, a solitary place. And he spends time in prayer communing with his father. Now while he's gone because, you know, word spread, hey, if you can just get somebody to Jesus, they can get better. If you can just get somebody to Jesus, they can have hope. If you can just get them to Jesus, everything will change. Well, everybody was trying to find Jesus. And Jesus had slipped out away from the camp without even his disciples really knowing where he was. So, so even Simon goes looking for him. He finally finds him and says, hey, hey, Lord, everybody's looking for you. And then Jesus says something to Simon that probably at first surprised him a little. He said, well, we've got to leave here. We can't stay here. Now, the thing is, a lot of us just like to camp out where we've had a great time of victory or something pleasant's happened in our life. That's where we want to stay. 
But we see repeated patterns where Jesus could have done that. There were places where, there, there was a time in Scripture where after Jesus' early ministry and many signs and wonders were performed, that there were people who tried to forcibly come and make Jesus the king. Because they knew that someone who had this kind of power, well, he could change everything. They believed there were those who believed and he was the Messiah, but there were those who believed that he was going to be a political Messiah. That this is the one that can come and remove the Roman tyranny over Israel's life. So they were going to forcibly make him king and Jesus just walked through them. He didn't want any part of that because he had come to set up a different kind of kingdom. But in this case, Jesus says, no, we have to go through other villages and we have to go through other towns. And what's important is that last phrase that I emphasize. He said, for this reason, for this purpose, I've come. The whole reason I'm here is to let everybody know freedom has come. It's not just for one place. It's not just for one special select group of people. Freedom has come because I have come. We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. And Christmas, the theological term for Jesus' birth is the incarnation, meaning that God himself stepped into human flesh in the baby Jesus in the manger in Bethlehem. Once and for all, hope had come to the world. Once and for all, where for thousands of years man had just gone on in this consistent pattern of sin and bondage and brokenness and helplessness, that now Jesus has come. And because God has stepped into human flesh, there is now hope. As the angels sing, now there is peace and goodwill towards men because Jesus has come. God's not angry anymore because Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. He's come to take the penalty for all men's sin for all time upon himself so that man could have freedom and hope and forgiveness and compassion and freedom because that was the heart of God. And Jesus has come. And so Jesus says to Simon, he said, we can't stay here. Even though the time has been pleasant and things are going good and the people love us because they're getting what their needs met and everything. He said, but we can't just stop and help one group of people in one place. I've come for the purpose of going to every town and every village and letting everyone know that everything has changed. That's the reason I've come. And then we come to the meat of what I want to talk about today. In verse 40, after he had said that, it says, now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus moved with compassion. He wasn't moved with a, a sense of ambition. He didn't see a great opportunity here. Jesus at the early beginning of his ministry didn't see this leper as an opportunity to build credibility for himself. He didn't see him as, as a statistic that could be added to his ministry count. Well, if I just cleanse this leper, then ever, we're going to have even more people follow me because nobody messes with leprosy. Matter of fact, in that time, under the old covenant law, if you had leprosy, which was an incurable, contagious skin disease, that, that term leprosy was known for a lot of different skin diseases that they weren't sure about and couldn't be cured. In that time, if you had leprosy, you had to move out away from your family and out away from your home, and you had to stay away from crowds. And any time you were around anybody, you had to cry out. It was, it was a law. You had to cry out, unclean, unclean. So that in case somebody couldn't see from afar that you had this disease, they would stay away from you and, so to speak, not be contaminated by contact with you. Now, I realize this scripture is talking about a physical disease. But I want you to think real quick about how many kinds of leprosy 
we still have that aren't just physical things? How many people carry around in their life and have for years something that they feel like people look at them as if they're contaminated? I don't want to get too close to you. Whatever you've got might rub off on me. I don't want to be associated with what's going on in your life. I don't want to even get close. And you see, the thing with that, that builds such a sense of loneliness in people's hearts because not only are they not close to anyone, they're afraid to get close to anyone. And so this man has heard, obviously, about Jesus because he implores him to make him clean. Now, listen, he wasn't stupid. He knew that nobody could make leprosy well, so he had to have heard about the miraculous power of Jesus somehow. Or what he asked would be completely foolish. So he said, hey, if you, I know something about you, Jesus. If you really want to, you can cleanse me. You can change my life today. If you really want to, you can make me whole and everything changed today. And the Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion. The only thing he saw was the hurt and the pain in this man. See, here's the thing. We are not, we're called as Christians to be like Jesus. Okay? He's our example. And the only thing Jesus, you see this over and over again, before every miracle almost that Jesus performs, before every healing that you see him do, you see that little phrase, Jesus was moved with compassion. See, we can act like and think that we're a lot like Jesus in a lot of ways, and a lot of us think we're like Jesus because we don't do this, and we don't do that, and we don't go here, and we don't go there, and we don't say this, and we don't say that, and we do go to church, and we do lift our hands, and we do sing songs, and we go to Christian concerts, and Christian movies, and wear Christian t-shirts, and have Christian bumper stickers, and, and, and if I could, I'd go to a Christian car lot, to a Christian salesman, and get a Christian car that runs on Christian gas, and everything like that, because we, we want everybody to know and listen, all that's fine. But you can do all of that and not be anything like Jesus. See, we're not like Jesus until we're moved with compassion when we see people. Yes, amen. See, Jesus saw people not for what they could do for him or his ministry. Jesus just saw people's hearts and their needs and their brokenness and their loneliness. And he was moved with compassion. So when he saw leprosy, he didn't see something that could contaminate him. Let me say something else, and I've preached on this before, but just to touch it again, it's important. If Jesus touches this man, by ritual old covenant law, he becomes unclean. How many people would you love if you weren't? How many people would you reach out to? How many people would you talk to Maybe reach out to a little bit more if you weren't so afraid of what somebody might think if they saw you even talking to them. You see, Jesus wasn't concerned about what anybody thought or said about him. All he saw was a man who was hurting. So he, he knew. I mean, Jesus knew the law. He was teaching the teachers of the law when he was 12 years old, remember? So he knew the law. He knew all about it. He was the word made flesh. He understood what it cost and what it meant. But he, when this man implored him, he said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was moved with compassion. And he stretched out his hand and Jesus touched him. 
Now, I've said this before. This isn't the meat of where I'm going today, but I just want to touch it. Touch on it. It's important to understand Jesus is, is God in human flesh. He didn't have to touch him. He could have just said, be healed. You remember the centurion? He said, just speak the word only and my servant will be healed. You don't even have to come under my roof. And he never did come under his roof. He spoke the word. The servant was healed from that moment. So all Jesus had to do was just say, be made whole. And the leprosy would be gone. He didn't have to touch him. He didn't have to, quote, unquote, get contaminated, be made unclean. But I think it's very important that he did. He did. He reached out his hand and he touched the leper. And then he said to him, I am willing. Be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now Jesus strictly warned him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go on your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. I think that's a little bit interesting too. Most of us today, if we had a miracle like that happen in our ministry, we'd say, go tell everybody you can see. Oh man, report this. Matter of fact, can I get a testimonial? Hey, will you sit still for a minute? I got my iPhone. Can I get you to give a testimony right here? And I'm going to put it on, on, let me just blast this everywhere I can send it because I want everybody to know. Jesus was just the opposite. Over and over and over again, he said, don't tell anybody. Isn't that interesting? Jesus was not interested remotely in building a following and yet nobody followed anybody like they followed Jesus. I believe if Jesus were here today, he could care less how many likes he'd get on Facebook. I doubt he'd even have a page. I don't think he'd be interested in how many followers he had. I don't think he'd be interested in what anybody thought. I just think he'd go about doing what he did because he had compassion for people. And I think the same thing would happen now that happened then. I think when word got out that Jesus was around, I think that people would come because nobody else could heal like he healed and nobody else cared like he cared and nobody else could teach like he taught and nobody else could set people free like he set people free. But one thing was very important. Nobody else was willing to touch the people like that. See, the religious leaders would have stayed far away, especially the religious leaders of his day. They would have stayed far away. But Jesus touched him and he cleansed him. Verse 45 says, However, the man went out and he began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer even openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Now, the reason I read that story, there's a lot of meat in there and we tried to touch on a little of it, but the reason I read that story was to give you a background for what we're about to see. You see, Jesus said, don't go tell anybody, but like every time, they couldn't resist. Because see, when Jesus does something, really does something in your life, it's really hard to not talk about it. I mean, when something good happens to you, you just, it's hard to keep it in. And so, even though Jesus said, don't go tell anybody, he did. He reported it far and wide. And because of that, word spread about how Jesus had cleansed the leper. I bet it spread how Jesus was willing to touch the leper. And now, all of a sudden, when we look at Mark chapter 2, verse 1, it says, again, he entered Capernaum after some days. He went away for a while. Then after some days, he entered Capernaum. And it was heard, or the word got around, that Jesus was in the house. I wonder how the word spread. Probably from a leper that had been cleansed. Probably from someone who Jesus had had compassion on that nobody else had had compassion on. And all of, You remember the Samaritan woman when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well? 
in the middle of the day. He said, I must go through Samaria, which was a shock to his disciples because Jews avoided Samarians like, like a plague because there was a lot of deep bred prejudice and hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. But Jesus said, I must go through there. And so in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, this woman comes to get water, which was strange because usually they'd come early in the morning before it was really, really hot. And usually they'd come together so they could help one another. But instead, this woman comes in the middle of the day alone by herself. And Jesus is there. And he speaks to her, which was strange because not only would a man not speak publicly to a woman in, in that culture, it could be considered very, very vile. But at the same time, he was a Jew speaking to a Samaritan woman, which was strange. And she didn't quite know what to do with that. And so he begins to talk to her. And they talked about some religious things. And at the end, she says, well, you know, let me go home and, and talk to And he says, listen, I, I want to tell you something. He tells her about herself. He says, you, you, right now, you, you don't have a husband. You're living with someone else. And you've had five husbands. But Jesus didn't say it in a condemning way because obviously the woman was just drawn. There was like a, a, like a magnet that drew her to him and he began to give her hope and give her peace and this woman ran into, into town. He didn't judge her. He didn't condemn her. Might have been the first man in her whole life that looked at her and wanted nothing but to set her free. And she went home and she started telling everybody in town about this man who told her everything there was to know about her and eventually the whole town came out to meet Jesus. It's the same type of thing. He didn't have to go promote himself because what he was doing and how he loved people and, and the things that he said and did, that gave enough promotion for him. And when he went out, now the word is spread, and he comes to this house in Capernaum, and everybody in town comes to hear him. And immediately, verse 2, many gathered together. Talk about a flash mob. I mean, everybody came. And it says they, there wasn't even room to receive the folks who came, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Notice that his primary concern was the message. It was the word. He didn't start with miracles. He didn't start with signs and wonders. He didn't start with words of wisdom, words of knowledge and tongues and prophecy. He started with the word. He preached the word because it's the word that ultimately changes people's lives. Everybody's there. There's not room to press in. And then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near Jesus because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was so that when they had broken through, they let down the bed in which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Just a couple of things I want to mention and then we'll get back to this. Jesus had the reputation that he healed sick people. He delivered bound people. He brought peace and healing and restoration to broken people. He saved lost people. He loved marginalized people while he challenged religious people. That was the reputation that Jesus had gained. And word spread. And people came. And among that group, that gathered in, so many of them that you couldn't even get to the door. There were different kinds of people. We find out in a moment there were religious leaders there, Pharisees. They were there to criticize. They were there suspiciously judging and watching and just waiting for Jesus to slip up, make a mistake that they could call him on. 
Some of the people there and the hundreds and hundreds that had to have been there were just curiosity seekers. It was new. It was exciting. Everybody wanted to see this Jesus. He was the new speaker on the circuit. He, he, he was the one that everybody was talking about. It was hip and cool to show up and be at a Jesus concert. And even though Jesus wasn't self-promoting, that was the place to go and the person to listen to. And so there were a lot of curiosity seekers in the crowd. They were just there because it was exciting. Maybe they could tell their kids one day that they saw Jesus or they heard Jesus speak. There were disciples there, people who had already decided this is the Messiah. They may not have understood everything he was going to do, but they were committed to him to the best of their ability, and they were there to serve. But maybe most importantly, the lost and the sick and the broken were there. The bound and the discouraged and the oppressed and the confused, they were there. And there was one man that couldn't get there at all. And I think it's interesting, he, he was a paralytic. Now he had a physical disease that caused him not to be able to walk, obviously, but he could not. He had no ability of his own to get to Jesus. No matter how much he wanted to, he couldn't. He could try, but he couldn't. The only chance he had of getting to Jesus were his friends. So there was a paralyzed man, and then there were four friends, and then there was Jesus. Let me just say this real quick before I talk about anything else. The most important element is that Jesus was in the house. It does not matter who else is in the house. <laughs> it doesn't matter who else is in your house physically or in this house or any other place where we gather together. If Jesus is sitting in the house, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many religious folks or how many broken folks or how many curiosity seekers or how many disciples are there. If Jesus isn't there, it really doesn't matter because the only one who can heal, deliver, and set free is Jesus. So the most important thing is to make sure Jesus is in the house. But he was. Interestingly, this man who couldn't get to Jesus on his own was brought by his four friends, but they couldn't get to Jesus because of the other people. Sometimes other people can keep you from Jesus if you let them. I know there's probably some of you in this room who you've been discouraged in church, maybe even this church, by other people. Maybe somebody didn't say what they should have said. Maybe somebody said something they shouldn't have said. Maybe somebody did something they shouldn't have done. Or maybe they didn't do something that you thought they should have done. Maybe it broke your heart. Maybe it discouraged you. Maybe it made you angry. And right now, maybe that's all you can think of. See, Jesus is in the house, whether you realize it or not, but right now all you can think about is some other people. And it doesn't matter that you're not like the paralytic in one sense of the word. You're here, you're able to get here, but you, you can't think about anything else but the other people that are standing in your way. You, all you can think about is that person who looked at you wrong, that person who said something wrong, that person who didn't say something that you thought you deserved that they should have said, that person who didn't acknowledge you that they should have, that person who didn't love you like they should have, that person who let you down, that person that you saw engaged in something or involved in something, that who are they? They're supposed to be Christians. And you're, you're just, that's all you see. The problem is, do you understand Jesus is in the house and you're so busy looking at the other people, they're keeping you from Jesus and those other people couldn't help you if they tried, but Jesus can. 
See, all of us are somebody in this crowd. Maybe you're one of the religious leaders. You Maybe you pride yourself in the sense of what you know and what you don't know and how you live and all of that. And, and what you find yourself doing whenever Jesus is in the house is just watching for anything that's wrong. One thing, one word, one thing, and then you pounce. That's, they're always in the crowd. And many times they keep people from Jesus. Maybe you're just a curiosity seeker. It's Sunday morning and it's the hip thing to do. We're in America. It's a quote-unquote Christian nation, so this is what we should do. I'm in church on Sunday morning. Let me check in on Facebook. I'm in church. Where so, I mean, and that's fine. Go ahead and do that. Not against that. But my point is, maybe you're just a curiosity seeker. And you may not be in church on Sunday morning, but you're going to be at the concert next week or you're going to be at the conference here or there and, because that's the thing to do. It's exciting, it's new, it's hip. But what we really need to realize is there are two other kinds of people. There are people who are paralyzed, broken. They may be here physically, but mentally and emotionally, on the inside, they're trying so hard to get to Jesus, but quite frankly, they don't know how. Now, all they can do is get here and hope that somebody can help. And if that's not who you feel like you are, then my question is, are you willing to be one of the four friends? Because, you see, when they saw the crowd and the crowd kept them from Jesus, they didn't give up and they didn't quit. The easiest thing to do would have been to walk there with the paralyzed man that they brought on the mat and said, oh, well, man, we tried. We tried. We got you here, but I'm sorry, man. They're just, we can't get to the door. We can't even get to the door. But I don't know if it was all four of them or just one of them, but thank God for one who said, I'm not, I've come too far. I'm not quitting now. <laughs> My goodness, we, we, we went to all this trouble to get you to Jesus. I'm not giving up now. I'm not going to let anybody stand between me and Jesus, between you and Jesus. So they went up on the roof. Somebody had the genius plan of tearing up the roof and lowering this man on the mat to Jesus. And when they do, Jesus, the Bible doesn't say, this has always been interesting to me. It says nothing about seeing the faith of the paralyzed man. Because see, most of us, particularly us Word of Faith, Charismatic, Pentecostal people, and there's a truth to the fact of how important it is to have faith. Jesus said to the woman who touched the hem of his garment, go your way, your faith has made you well. On other occasions, he said to people, as you have believed, so it will be done unto you. So it's absolutely true that what you believe is important. But in this case, he says nothing about the man's faith. It says he saw the faith of the four men who brought him. He looked up and he saw, not his, there. Now you say, well, maybe it included the paralyzed man. Well, maybe it did, but we're not sure of that. Either way, we know that he saw all of their faith. And when he saw it, he makes an interesting statement. He says nothing about healing the man's paralysis. Instead, he says, son, your sins. Uh, first of all, let me just stop there. Son. Son. All your life, we don't know how long he'd been paralyzed, maybe all his life. 
But for however long he's been paralyzed, he probably would have been ostracized and left out. Well, he couldn't go anywhere on his own, so unless he had help, he couldn't go anywhere. So many things he wasn't able to participate in. So many things he wasn't able to be a part of. He had to have felt lonely. He had to have felt discouraged. He had to have felt hopeless. He had to have felt like he wasn't a part of anything that was going on. And the first thing Jesus did was bring him in. He said, son, if you will listen closely to the Holy Spirit, the first thing he wants to do for you today is to bring you home. He wants to say, son, daughter, you're not alone. You're not helpless. You're not hopeless. In yourself, yes, but I'm here. You belong. So, son, your sins are forgiven you. See, there's something about Jesus that is so awesome. We focus on the outside. It's hard not to. You know, God said about David, he said, man focuses on the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. We see the outside. And the more dominant the problem, the easier it is to focus on the outside. That's why many of us in our churches today, it's pounce on problems that we can see that people have because it's obvious on the outside and it skews horrible things that God says he hates like pride and gossip and bitterness and divisiveness. Do you realize that God lists gossip and backbiting in a list in Romans chapter 1 right next to being a murderer and a hater of God? That's not a list you want to qualify for. And yet most of us don't see those things as being the horrible things that they are. But you see, Jesus never looks at the outside. He goes right to the core. And he sees what the man really needs, not just the obvious outward symptom. There are outward symptoms to whatever may be going on in your life today. The problems that you have, there are things that everybody sees, but God sees the things that nobody sees. Even things that you don't understand about yourself, God sees. And the first thing he wants to address is the root cause of whatever's causing your pain. He's not interested in just putting a Band-Aid on and making your symptom go away for a little while. He's interested in healing you from the inside out. And so Jesus said there's a root problem here, and it's, he's not saying that all diseases are caused by sin, but in this particular case, it may not have been the disease that was, the, that was caused by sin, but this man had a problem with sin still in his life. And he said the most important thing is to set you free from the sin because I can get you to where you walk again. I can make you whole, and you can be up running and leaping, and I haven't been involved and engaged with all kinds of things in life and still be broken on the inside if the sin problem's not taken care of. And man, I wish we would learn that because many of us go to our churches and our conferences and our seminars and our concerts and read our books because we're wanting God to address some outward circumstance or symptoms that's inconvenient for us at this moment. And God can do that and take that away and we will feel better, but eventually we're going to run into a problem again because if sin is not dealt with in our heart, that's the core problem that brings everything else to the surface. And if God doesn't deal with the core problem, we're eventually going to come back to a place where we're in even more desperate need than we were before. And Jesus never dismissed misses the core problem even if it's uncomfortable to deal with and Jesus says son your sins are forgiven now some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their own hearts those are the ones that were just waiting for him to make a mistake they says why does this man speak blasphemies like this who can forgive sins but God alone recognize that they were the most religious learned people in scripture and yet they didn't recognize when God was in their midst 
Okay, let me say that again. Some of the most religious folks on the planet don't even recognize when Jesus is around. Do you know where two or three gather together in his name? He said, he said, he said, he promised, he covenanted, I am there in the midst of them. Do you know that he said, whenever you praise me, we quoted it this morning during worship, he manifests himself in the praises of his people. Every time we praise him, he's there. I don't feel him. That don't matter. He's not a liar. He said he's there, he's there. I don't see anything. Doesn't matter. Either he's telling the truth or he's not. He said he's there, he's there. Wouldn't it be awesome if we recognized his presence? So everything can change when you recognize whose presence you're in. And so he's, the religious leaders are wondering what Jesus is doing and immediately... In verse 8, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk? But so that you may know or recognize that the Son of Man has the power and authority on earth to forgive sins... He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he arose, he took up his bed, and he went out in the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this before. Jesus said, hey, which do you think is easier, to forgive sin or get somebody up off a paralyzed bed he said so that you understand go ahead and get up and walk and immediately he got up and walked wouldn't that be awesome God still does that but you see here's the thing we don't always understand whatever it is physically or emotionally or financially or relationally that's bothering you that's making life miserable for you right now God could take all of that away and if your heart's not changed Eventually, all that misery is going to come back. See, the awesome thing is, particularly for the children of God, and I, I'm not discounting the fact Jesus still heals sickness and disease, because he certainly does, but the thing is, you can go slip out of this life sick, and one less than a millisecond later, you're well forever. But as I've said before, there's not a single individual that can ever go to heaven lost. You've got to deal with the sin problem. Say, well, I'm a Christian. I've dealt with that. Yeah, but see, the thing is, if we don't deal with our own sin problems, and yes, I said sin. Let me say it again. Sin. There's still such a thing as sin. Sin is whenever we, listen, sin is whenever we do things our way instead of God's way. That's sin. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about alcohol and, 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 and witchcraft and all that. Yeah, well, that's sin. But sin, the Bible says, to him who knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it, that is, ready, sin. The Bible also says anything that's not of faith, anything that doesn't originate from a heart of your trust, anything that doesn't come from your relationship with God and your faith in God, the Bible says that is sin. 
And wherever sin begins to dominate and begins to get a stronghold in our life, that we, and whenever, well, how does it get a stronghold? When I refuse to deal with sin, when the Holy Spirit speaks to my life about any sin that I don't deal with, it gets a stronghold in my mind and in my spirit. And eventually it begins to dictate to me what I'm going to do. And we'll find ourselves making decisions that we never would have made a year ago, two years ago, ten years ago. We find ourselves saying things we never would have said, thinking in ways we never would have thought, going places we never would have gone. We reason it away. We, but what's happened is somewhere in our heart, we, and here's what, I'm going to say this because I believe this is truth, we were broken. See, I don't believe people just get up and walk away from God because, <laughs> I think I'll just walk away from God. You know, he's never done anything for me. That's not why people who truly know God walk away from God. There's not one person who ever has truly know God, known God that can say God's never done anything for you. If you know him, he's done things. You know that. You know you felt his compassion. So we don't just wake up and do that one day, but what happens is somewhere in our life we get disappointed, we get disillusioned, we get angry, something's not happening, God's not moving, something's not working the way we think it should, and somewhere we allow the enemy to plant a seed of brokenness, discouragement, disappointment, disillusionment, anger, bitterness, and it begins to root. And the Bible says when there is a root of bitterness, it rises up and defiles everything else. So the Bible says to guard against that. In Proverbs it says, guard your heart because out of your heart spring or issue all the areas or matters of life. So it's important for us to guard our heart. So Jesus goes and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And everybody says, well, who do you think you are that you can forgive sins? And I, I love it if Jesus really said what, what he could have said. He said, well, I think I'm God. If anybody else said that, you'd be insane. But you see, Jesus really was. And he really is. Absolutely. And he said, do you think it's easier for me? What do you think is harder, to forgive sins or to get this man up? He says, I'm going to prove to you today that I've got the power on earth to forgive sins. Because, see, that's the real thing. That's the important thing. Not, not that healing's not important. He cleansed the leper. He healed these villages of all these people who were sick and demon oppressed. That's why word spread and everybody was in the house. That's why they had to get up on the roof and open it up to let him in anyway. It's not that he didn't care about the sickness. It's not that he didn't care that this man couldn't walk. It's just in this man's life there was a deeper problem than the fact that he couldn't walk. And what I'm wanting to say to you and what I want to get across today is in some of your lives today there's a bigger problem than the problem. You see one thing and you're desperately wanting to get that problem solved, but God sees something deeper. You think he's ignoring the problem. No, he's not. He knows that he could take that problem out of the way in an instant and there would still be a problem. He loves you enough to deal with the real core problem. He said, I'm going to show you I've got the power. Get up and walk. And instantly the man got up and he walked and everybody marveled and they glorified God and they said, we've never seen anything like this before. But the real teaching that he was trying to get across is, I can set you free from the inside out. Wouldn't it be nice if God took all our financial woes away? Well, sure it would. Wouldn't it be great if God just, just answered all your prayers and solved all your problems? Yes, it would. And he cares about those things. But wouldn't it be wonderful to be whole on the inside? Wouldn't it be great to have that nagging issue that the Bible calls besetting sins? Besetting sins are the sins that trip you up. 
Besetting sins are the sins that it, it just seems like no matter how hard you try, you take three steps forward, two steps back, you, you get a hold of it, you think you got it beat, and then all of a sudden here it comes back again. You're, the, you're as surprised as anybody else that you're dealing with that anger still, or you're dealing with that unforgiveness still, or you're dealing with that addiction still, and there it is. And it's back, and it, But wouldn't it be nice to be whole? Wouldn't it be wonderful to be free? Wouldn't it be great to know that you're forgiven? Wouldn't it be great to know that all of your past is washed away, and it doesn't matter what anybody else says, thinks, or does, Jesus to declared you whole and right and cleansed. Wouldn't it be wonderful for Jesus to really deal with a root problem? And let me tell you something, Jesus does that every time. We just don't always want that because many times we just want God to deal with the problem that's making life inconvenient today. So my encouragement to you today and the reason I felt like I needed to preach this message is that some of you are desperately seeking God about a problem and God cares. But there's a deeper problem than the problem that you see. And God's not ignoring the problem that you see and that you're talking to him about. He just don't want you to go away deceived thinking that my problem's solved when he beats that need. He wants you to know there's a brokenness on the inside of you. There's a bitterness on the inside of you. There's a disillusionment and disappointment on the inside of you that's going to creep back up and hurt you again if you don't once and for all let Jesus call you home. Son, daughter, do you know what really mattered to that? I don't know. I wasn't there and I can't, but I, I think the most important word that paralytic man heard that day was not get up and walk. I think the most important word he heard was son. I don't think the most important words that leper heard that day were the fact that you, you're cleansed, go report to the priest. I think the most important words he heard was, I'm willing. And the most important thing that happened was that Jesus touched him. When no one else would. You may think today, well, there's nobody that wants to really know what's going on with me. Well, Jesus does. Matter of fact, he already knows. And can I tell you something? If you're sitting there today and you're saying, well, Pastor Lynn, I agree with you 100% and thank God I've experienced God's freedom and right now I'm just, I'm just walking in the peace and power of God. Thank God. That's wonderful. And I'm glad. And I believe you. So be a friend. Because there's people in this room who can't walk. Oh, I watched everybody walk in. I'm not talking about physically. You see, we can be like the Pharisees and judge everybody and pounce on everyone. Ah, look, I don't like what they did. Look what they said. Look what they didn't do. Look what they didn't say. Well, I don't think that's right. There's always Pharisees. Problem is, Pharisees never heal anybody. Pharisees never change anybody. Pharisees never help anybody. Jesus has compassion. Do you want to be like Jesus or like a Pharisee? Who you want to follow? Jesus has compassion. Be a friend. If they can't get to Jesus on their own, help them. Now understand something, and I'll try to close with this. There's a risk involved. It's not going to be easy to get people to Jesus. I don't care who it is, and I don't care what the problem. It's not ever easy because there's an enemy who wants to keep them bound and broken and whatever's going on in their life, he wants to keep them that way. So when you get there, there's going to be an obstacle. 
always an obstacle. As excited as they were to find out Jesus was in town and to get their friend there, when they got there, they couldn't get to him because of the people, the crowd. So what are you going to do then? I challenge you to be like those four men, those four friends who say, hey, we're not giving up. We're not quitting. We've come this far. We're going to find a way to get you to Jesus. Climb up on the roof. Find a way. There's a, well, that's not safe. Well, following Jesus isn't always the safest thing in the world. Ask Christians in the Middle East today. Ask the missionary who just got killed by a native tribe recently, just a week ago, like a modern-day Jim Elliott. He had given his life to reach a tribe, and they wound up killing him just a week ago. You haven't seen that on the news. Still happens. Following Jesus, really following Jesus isn't safe. Paul told Timothy, anyone who follows after me will suffer persecution. If you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. There's going to be some obstacles, some risk. You see, it wasn't just the man. You think about the paralyzed man. He was at great risk because if they slipped, if they fell, he, his situation goes from bad to worse immediately. Well, he could die. But it wasn't just him. Think about the risk those four men took. They had to climb up on a roof in the midst of a big crowd. What if somebody got mad? What if somebody looked, what if the homeowner was there and looked up and said, what are you doing to my roof? What if they started throwing stones at them? They had been within their legal rights. There was a risk to everybody involved. When Jesus touched the leper, there was a risk. He would have been deemed unclean by the law. But Jesus took the risk. And those four men took the risk. And the paralytic was willing to take the risk. And the good news is he went away walking. But not only that, he got something even better. He went away with his sins forgiven. And having been called son by Jesus himself. I don't know about you. It's one thing to walk. It's another thing for Jesus to say, hey, come on, son, follow me. I want you to know I love you. And that's what he got that day. Who are you in that crowd? Are you the paralyzed man? Do you feel like no matter how hard you try, you just can't get to Jesus one way or the other? Something in your mind always blocks it. Something in your emotions always blocks it. That hurt always blocks it. Some, something around you always stops it. Well, then maybe you just need some friends to help. Maybe you need someone's encouragement. Maybe you need somebody's prayer. Maybe you need somebody's challenging reminder that Jesus loves you even where you are and that he's never going to quit and give up on you. Is it risky? Yeah, it's risky. See, if you open yourself up to the thought that God might actually be able to do something about this, you open yourself up to the chance that, well, if things don't work out like I want them to work out, when I want them to work out, I might be disappointed. That's the way it is anytime you open yourself up to anybody's love, even the love of God. The good news is God's love never disappoints. You could be the religious crowd in that crowd that day. Are you always watching? Are you always looking to see what's wrong? Instead of watching to move with compassion? You see, Jesus wasn't watching people to find what was wrong. He already knew what was wrong, and he knew he was the answer. 
He was watching people who he could have compassion for. He even said to the Pharisees one time and another crowd around him that day, he said, I'm the great physician. I've come to heal those who are sick, but he said, I can only heal those who are sick because those who are not sick don't need a physician. And he wasn't trying in any way to make an illusion that there are some people that don't need him. Everybody needs him. It's just that not everybody knows how sick they are. And the Bible says in that moment, the Pharisees knew he was talking about them. They knew it. They understood that he was saying, you don't realize how sick you are. And I can't help you, even though I'm here to help you and I could help you, I can't because you don't recognize how bad you need me. And you see, while the religious crowd's always looking to judge everybody else, not move with compassion, they don't realize they've got a sickness growing inside of them that may be worse than anything they see anybody outside of them. The problem is they're not looking for help and therefore though Jesus is right in the room, he can't help them. Because they're not looking. So if you're one of the Pharisees in the crowd, I challenge you to let Jesus change your heart. I hope you're one of the disciples, and if you're not, you can be. They were always learning. A disciple's always learning. And if you want to learn from Jesus, that means you've always got to be where Jesus is, listening to what Jesus is saying, and then doing what Jesus is doing. But I hope that no matter who you are, you can be one of somebody's four friends. That when they can't get to Jesus, you're more than willing to help. See, a lot of us think, well, I can't help anybody. I don't have this kind of knowledge, and I don't have a Bible degree, and I've never been to Bible college, and I don't know this, and, or I can't sing, or I can't do this. And we begin to list all the things that we're not qualified to do. Only things these guys had to be able to do was to carry this man on a mat and not quit. That's all they, they didn't have any, have any special skills or abilities or they just had to love a man enough to get him to where Jesus was and then when they got there and found an obstacle to find a way to get around the obstacle, that's all they had to do. And Jesus, listen, this is important. I hadn't even planned on saying this. Jesus said that was faith. Oh man, I get so tired of sometimes our theological smugness. We think we know so much. We think faith is this grand, elaborate thing, this almost magical sense of something that floats onto the very spiritual ones who go to the right conferences and read the right books and listen to the right teachers and speak the right things, and then they get this magical thing called faith where they can never have any problems anymore, and if they have even a hint of a problem, they can speak the right word at the right time, and all the problems magically, poof, disappear. I imagine Paul wishes he had that kind of faith because he sure didn't have that happen to him. And he wrote most of the scriptures you're quoting about faith, by the way. So apparently it was something different than that. Well, I don't believe that. But oh, oh, really? Do you know Paul said that he prayed for God? Paul prayed for God to take a thorn. He called it a thorn in his flesh away from him. And you know what he said? God said, contrary to some of our wonderful teachers and preachers that say God will never say this. Do you know what God told Paul? He said, ready, ready, ready? He said, nope, not doing it. Not going to do it. You're going to keep this. Well, well, what was it? We don't know what it was. But it was something that was bothered Paul enough that he prayed, he says, I prayed repeatedly that God would take it away. And God said no. But he said, my grace and my strength are sufficient for you. And when you are weak, 
I am strong. Now, Paul wrote all those scriptures on faith that you're quoting, so he might be surprised to hear some of the teachers that say that God never tells you no, because God sure told Paul no. So faith isn't this. What Jesus said was not that faith was this magical thing. He looked at four men who we don't even know their names. They didn't write a book in the Bible. They didn't travel with Jesus. To our knowledge, they didn't become his disciples. They only show up on the map, as far as we know, this one time. Here's the one thing they did. They loved their friend enough to get him to Jesus, and when they met an obstacle, they loved their friend enough to get around the obstacle and get to Jesus, and Jesus said that was enough faith to warrant a miracle right there. Jesus said, now that's faith. Do you know what faith is then by that definition? Faith is sometimes just keeping going. Faith is sometimes just not quitting, not giving up, getting around the obstacle, getting up every morning and saying, God, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to pray anyway. God, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to study your word anyway. God, I don't feel like it today, but I'm going to church anyway. God, God, nothing in my life is going right, and I don't understand what you're doing, but God, I'm going to say it right now. You're still my God, and I still love you, and I'll follow you all the days of my life. No matter what happens to me, that, according to God, is faith. The faith that says everybody else may give up on you, but I'm not giving up on you. Everybody else may feel like that you're going to contaminate them if they touch you but I'll keep touching you I'm going to come to the prime we're not stopping we're not quitting we're not giving up we're moving because I believe that if you can just get to Jesus everything will change according to Jesus that is faith I would that some of us would have that kind of faith in this room that's the faith that brings miracles if you really want to be like Jesus Don't try to prove you're like Jesus by all the scripture verses you can quote and all of the things you do and don't do. That's all fine, it's all good, and it's all important in its place. But the best way to prove you're like Jesus is have compassion. See past what everybody else sees on the outside. Touch the untouchable. And love the unlovable and invite them to come home. That's what Jesus does. Wouldn't it be awesome if we'd be like that? You know, I feel like if we'd be like that as his people, word would spread that Jesus was in the house again. Not just this house, this church building, but your house. Not just the place where you live that you have an address to, but your house. Your body's the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So that when word gets out that Jesus is in this house, crowds gather. And understand when crowds gather, and I'm going to close here, but I promise. I've obligated myself, okay? Understand when crowds gather, there's going to be different people in those crowds that gather around you too. There's going to be hurting, broken people that if you really reach out and touch, there's going to be some people talk about you especially Pharisees. There's going to be people who are going to have a hard time getting to Jesus without your help. Something keeps blocking their way. There's going to be just some curiosity seekers. There's going to be some folks who hear about something God's doing in your life and they don't really care about you. They just, (laughs) it's different and they want to find out about it. They'll be here today and gone tomorrow. 
And there's going to be some Pharisees. You're going to have them. There's going to be some people in your life when they start hearing that Jesus is in your house, they're just waiting to pounce. They're watching for you to say one wrong thing, do one wrong thing, zig when you should have zagged, make one wrong move, and when you do, they're going to pounce thinking they're doing God a favor, and they're going to talk about you, and they're going to say all kinds of things. Jesus had it too. But you know what? It's worth all of that to have compassion on the people nobody else is willing to have compassion for. To touch the people nobody else is willing to touch. It's worth all of that to be a friend who gets somebody to Jesus and sees them freed. It's worth all of that to be a disciple who's always following Jesus. And let's see, here's the thing. You may follow Jesus for a long time and all you do is hear some great teaching and that's good in and of itself and you don't realize it, but you're growing a whole lot. But if you follow Jesus long enough, eventually you're going to run right smack dab into a miracle. If you stay where Jesus is long enough, you're eventually going to come up on a time where a leper's cleansed, a demoniac is set free, or somebody who couldn't move on their own before is able to walk away free and whole. See, that's the joy of following Jesus. But you've got to decide who you want to be, and you've got to be ready to deal with all of those people in the crowd around your life when you do. Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus, we do thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit today. We thank you, God, that you have already moved in, in the midst of worship. You've spoken to people's hearts. I believe you've brought healing and relief and peace and joy to people's lives. I thank you for that. But now you've spoken through the message that I believe you gave me today, and you knew everybody who would be in this room. You knew their circumstances. You know what's going on in their lives and in their families. You knew it before they ever walked in here, and you love them. And Lord God, you sent this word today because in some area, in some place, if they ask the Holy Spirit for help, they're going to find themselves. I'll find myself somewhere in this message. And God, when we do, I pray that we would be quick to allow the Holy Spirit to do what you desire in our lives. If it's repentance that we need, if there's sin wrecking our lives, keeping us bound, I pray that we would let it go. Or that we'd realize walking with you is far more important than holding on to our pain, even if it seems to protect us from further pain. That it's more important to let go of our disappointment and our bitterness and our disillusionment and really be able to walk again with freedom than to stay bound. God, for those who felt like nobody has cared in a long time and Maybe they feel like they don't belong no matter where they go. Such loneliness and such helplessness in their lives. Father God, I thank you that they'll hear your voice saying, Son, daughter, you're mine. (laughs) They'd hear you say, I'm willing, I'll touch you, even where you're at. Oh, wow. Thank you, Jesus. And God, they'd find your freedom there. For those who would rather stand off at the edge and judge, pounce when anything's wrong, I pray that instead they would let go of that and let you be God and just love people and let your compassion lead them. We can still call actions right or wrong. We can still judge fruit, but we can't judge people. And God, I pray that they would just yield to you And for those who have been hanging around for a long time, 
just watching because it's the thing to do, satisfying their curiosity. Father God, I pray that they would take another step and move past that and become a disciple. And Lord, I pray that all of us would be willing to be like those friends that, Lord, if we want to be acknowledged by our faith, that our faith would be the kind of faith that gets people to Jesus. Our faith would be the kind of faith that finds a way around the obstacles, no matter what's put up in our path, to get people in front of a Savior and a healer and a deliverer that you are. And Father God, that we wouldn't care if we put ourselves at risk, if, we, if it may make us, Lord, even look bad. God, I pray that we'd be a people who get people to Jesus. Never give up, never quit. I pray for that today in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed across this room, most importantly, you may feel like I'm one of those, Brother Lynn, I try so hard to get to Jesus, but it just seems like I can't. There's always something that's standing in the way. Maybe it's something in your mind, something in your past, something in your emotions. Maybe it's addiction that you have, but something's keeping you from Jesus. I want you to understand, you may see all kinds of problems going on in your life that you ask God to take care of, and he cares about that. But more importantly, he cares about the root of that. He wants to move that sin. He wants to move that brokenness. He wants to move that disillusionment and disappointment so that when you actually do get up and walk, you can walk free. That's what God wants to do in your life. So if you've never given your heart to Jesus at all, or you're not walking with him now, you, you just feel like you're away from home, his word to you today is, son, daughter, you belong. Come home right now. Come home. Right, I'm willing. I'll touch you right where you are. Just come home. If you know you need to do that, would you lift your hand anywhere in this room before we pray about anything else? Would you lift your hand? If that sounds like you, if I just described you and you're ready to let Jesus have everything, would you lift your hand? Anybody like that before we pray about anything else? All right, then secondly, you're one of those people in that crowd. You're either a disciple, you're one of those four friends, you already said you're not the paralyzed man. You may be a curiosity seeker. You just show up to see what's going on. You may even be a Pharisee. You're just watching to see what's wrong. I challenge you, wherever you find yourself in that crowd, <laughs> go run to Jesus because he wants to make you a disciple. He wants to make you one of those friends. If you're in one of those categories that you don't want to be in, you're a curiosity seeker, you're a Pharisee, you're around Jesus a lot, but you're there for sometimes the wrong reasons. Maybe you hadn't thought about it before, but you have today. Maybe you love the Lord, but you've got people who need to get to Jesus and you give up just too easy. You realize today that God's saying to you, hey, get around the obstacles. That person may not be able to get to Jesus without your help. Don't quit. Don't give up on them. Come on. Get around the obstacles. Keep loving them. Keep encouraging them. Get them to me. Give them to me. If any of those things sound like you, would you lift your hand? I want to pray for you today. You need to be that person that gets you free. Don't give up on your free. You've been tempted to give up. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Maybe you've been judging people when you shouldn't. And God's saying, hey, hey, that's not who I want you to be. Come on. Love people. Have compassion on people. Maybe you've just been watching. You've just been wondering what's happening, but you're not really following. And you need to become a follower. You need to become a disciple today. Would you lift your hand anywhere like that? Anybody else who needs to respond? If that sounds like you, I want to pray for you today. All right, can we stand across this room? Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you, God, that you see us where we are. You love us. And Father God, I thank you that you meet us right where we are. Lord God, whatever the struggle, Father God, I thank you that you bring freedom and you bring release and you bring hope and you bring peace. So Father, right now, I thank you that you're...
power and your word will come to bear, Father God, in each life that's responded to you. And Father God, I just thank you in Jesus' name that they'll find freedom, they'll find encouragement, and they'll find hope. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for change and transformation, making us more like you every day. We give you praise for that. We give you thanksgiving for it. In Jesus' name we pray. I want to say one other thing. I know I said I was going to quit, but actually when I was praying, the Holy Spirit just spoke something. I want to say this in a way, and then I'm going to let you go from here. When Jesus spoke to the paralytic and he said, Son, I want you to understand that he called him Son before he was healed. Listen to me. He said, You belong before he could walk. And when he reached out and touched the leper and said, I'm willing, he did that before the leprosy was gone. Now, most anybody in this house is willing to touch people once they get cleaned up. Most anybody in this room is willing to say, hey, you belong once they're walking. But that's not Jesus. Jesus will touch them before the leprosy leaves. And Jesus will call them son before they're walking. And if we're only willing to touch people and love people once they're walking, we're never going to see people free. If we're only willing to care about people once they've been clean, then we're not going to see a whole lot of people cleansed. We've got to be like Jesus. And Jesus is the one that says, I love you now. I care about you now. I'm willing to touch you now. I'm willing to reach you now. You're going to walk one day. You're going to be cleansed one day. But I'm not waiting till then. If you'll let me. I'll hold you now. When people can find you and me like that, they found somebody like Jesus, and they can be free. I want you to leave with that thought today. Don't forget, if you're in the Christmas play, parents of...